Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Lord, we do lift up our souls to you and we say to our own selves, we instruct our own soul and our own minds, our own ears. We want to hear from you, Lord. We invite you to be present in this service, Lord, to be so present that you're walking among the aisles and touching every heart and every, every person. Not just in this room, but in the next room. And not just in the next room, but online as those people that might be watching and listening online. Lord, be present. You are real. And we want to sense your presence and to hear from you, from your word and from your spirit today. And Lord, fall upon us and bring revival to this city. Lord, we pray that you would start with each heart in this room and and those that are engaging with us right now. But not only that, that you would break out into every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in our city. We especially pray this morning for Farmington Heights and Pastor Dalen and that service there. Lord, that's a partner church of ours, and, and we pray that people would come to Christ in that meeting today as well. We pray for different churches every Sunday, Lord, that are partnering with us for revival in this city. And not just in this city, but we pray for our service in Rocky Mount, at our our campus in Rocky Mount. We pray for revival in Eastern North Carolina. But Lord, let it start with us. Lord, we, we lift up our souls to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in part five of our series, Renovate. And we've been talking about the renovation of the heart. And today we're going to be talking specifically about that aspect of our lives, often overlooked, the renovation of the body. And I don't know about you, but I could use a renovation of the body. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In this series, we've been talking about how life comes from the heart, how that what matters uh, to God is what's on the inside and what really changes your life is not changing what's on the outside, but, cha- but, but experiencing transformation, renovation of the inside of the heart. And our theme verse is found in Proverbs chapter 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Life comes from the heart, and change comes from the heart. And the heart's like the the, the driver's seat, it's the control center of our lives. It's the, the seat of our will. It's the place we make decisions. But yet there are aspects of our lives that inform and influence the, the heart. And, and one of those that, that, that we're talking about today is the body. The body influences our will. It influences our heart. Dr. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says this, For good or for evil, the body lies right at the center of the spiritual life. Yet their essential role in spirituality is the one thing most likely to be overlooked in understanding and practicing growth in grace. We often just dismiss the body as, as having influence on our spiritual life, but we couldn't be further from the truth. The body affects our spiritual life. It's important to recognize its essential role. That's why we're titling the sermon today, Renovating Our Body. Because God cares how you view your body. He cares about that. It matters to God how you view your body when you look in the mirror. And, and it matters to God how you use your body. It matters. I just want you to think about those two things for a second. How you view your body and how you use it matters to God. 
We have an idolized view of the body in America today. Instead of worshiping God, we've elevated the human body to a place of worship. We've made our bodies an object of worship, especially the young. We idolize a youthful body, and we plaster it on every social media page and every billboard and magazine and television commercial. And then we all pursue the unpursuable possibility of always living in a body that looks like it's in its late teens, early 20s. And we've made that the desire of our hearts, to stay young-looking. We've made idols of our bodies. We worship the human body in our culture today. And Gary, why do you say worship? Well, just think of it like this, that, that whatever you value the most, whatever you place the most worth, worship, worship comes from the word worth-ship, whatever you place the most worth on, then whatever you, you see something that you think is worth something, then you spend what you think it's worth. So you spend on it. That's worship. You recognize worth, and then you give it worth. You give it your, your spending, your attention, your money. Speaking of money, the United States has the highest cost of health care in the world. The U.S. health care spent, um, as a nation, we spent $4.3 trillion last year on health care. That's $13,000 per person. Relative to the size of our economy, that's 18% of our, of our gross national product. 18%, almost 20, like one-fifth of every dollar that's produced in America goes to health care. And then that doesn't include wellness or beauty and those kind of things, fitness, beauty, wellness kinds of products and, and so forth. So we spend, according to this survey I was looking at, $110 a month. That sounds kind of low to me, actually, but $110, $450 billion a year in the beauty wellness industry. Of, and I would imagine January is the big month. That's when we all sign up for the fitness place. By, by this time in, in February, here I am preaching on the body. We've already quit going. We already quit going. We, we paid for it. We'll keep paying for another two or three months as if that will help. Like wish, I wish I could just send a check to the gym and they would just like, you know, it would help. No, you got to actually go in there and work that body. This over-desire for beautiful young bodies persists in our thinking and our desires. And we look in the mirror, and we have kind of a love-hate relationship with our bodies. We look and we go, hmm, I hate that about myself. I wish I could get that fixed. It's drooping. I wish I could get it lifted. It's too heavy. I wish I could thin it out. It's turning white. I better put some color in it. These are the kind of things that we spend a lot of our time thinking on. And the truth is, many of us deal with shame, body shame. And it leads to many problems in our lives. Many, many kind of problems that radiate out of our view of, of self. Psychological and physiological troubles. And in addition, this wrong view of the body explains many of our societal woes. This elevation of the body and its appearance. So your identity is so connected to your body that, that you, you, you view based on the color of your skin. That the color of your skin is somehow 
the way you view your life or your gender. And so we have gender wars and gender dysphoria. Our height, our weight, our age, our color. These are all our health. These are all our beauty or not. Have you ever wondered how God wants to view, how He wants you to view your body? There's, there's two mirrors. One is the one that you can hang on your wall. And then there's this one that the book of James says is like a mirror. What mirror do you look in as you consider how God views your body and how He wants you to view your body? Does He call your body evil or good? Is the body a good thing? Or is it just so sinful that it's a bad thing? Um, does God have a purpose for your body? And what's its real place in becoming like Jesus? Is there something about our bodies that relates to us following Jesus? These are the kinds of questions I hope today to answer from God's Word. So, get your seatbelts on. We're going on a journey now, okay? Okay, plug in. Here we go. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he responded to their questions and their kind of cultural sayings by correcting their view of the body and talking about how God wanted to renovate their bodies completely to Him. How He wanted them to learn to see their bodies and use their bodies that God would have them to do. And I believe today we can do that. We can hear this word from God and we could submit our bodies to the Lord so that we view them and use them according to His will. As we look at the text today, I think we'll see three ways to do that. Let's dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, so glorify God in your body. This is God's Word. Talking about submitting our bodies to God for renovation. Here's the first way. Give your body wholly to God's purpose. Give your body wholly to God's purpose. I want you to take note that the word body appears here seven times in the text. People sometimes ask, how do you find the subject for the text you're preaching from? One of the key ways to do that is the repetition of a word like that. 
to what's, so I ask, God, what's this about? And there are many topics here that it covers, but primarily it seems to be about how God sees the body, how He views the body, and how He desires for us to use the body for His purpose. I want you to take note of that word body. It comes from the Greek word soma, S-O-M-A, if you're taking notes, would be the way you might remember, soma. Have you heard the word psychosomatic? Psycho, the beginning, the, the prefix, comes from the Greek word suke, which means soul. doesn't mean mind. Means soul. And then soma, as I've said, means body. And so psychosomatic means something that's wrong with the soul is affecting the body. That's the thing I, I don't want you to forget as we're going through this series. Although I have broken it up into many aspects of the self, we've talked about the heart, the mind, the thought life, the feelings, the will. Now we're talking about the body. Don't be confused and think that these stand alone or separate from one another. They all are interactive. We're taking them a piece at a time so that we might surrender that aspect to the Lord for His help. But we recognize they are of a whole, that they all interact. And they all interact in a way that affect the will and the choices we make. And the body is part of that interaction. Now, here's how Paul seems to be writing this letter to the church at Corinth. It's as if he, he's dealing with some like cultural slogans from Corinth. I, I would say that the city of Corinth during the first century is very similar in culture to the modern American culture. Their, their elevation of the human body and their love of, 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 of the body as an object of idolization. Uh, is very similar to our modern culture. And so it's, it's really not that difficult to apply this thinking. And they had sayings in their culture. And Paul seems to be like picking out sayings or slogans from, from the believers that are trying to deal with the cultural way of thinking and, and, and transforming their thinking to God's way. And so here's, the, here's this first cultural Corinthian slogan. All things are lawful for me. Paul's not saying that. He's saying, you guys have been saying that. But I say, according to the Holy Spirit, not all things are helpful. So that's, that's probably the best way to unpack this is to recognize he's doing this throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. He's addressing prescriptively what was going on there. This was a hedonistic, body-worshipping, sexually, everything was about sex. Sounds familiar. And he goes, you've been saying, whatever I, whatever I do, there's, what I'm doing is not against the law. So wh why are you saying to me that I can't do whatever I want to with my body? It's not against the law. Now, another way of looking at it from a believer's point of view might be, well, the truth is I'm not under the law anymore because Jesus fulfilled the law. I'm under grace. But then Paul says in the book of Romans, should I sin all the more so that grace might increase? He says, forbid it, almighty God. So we don't have liberty just to keep on sinning because we're, we're forgiven. I really do think this is some sort of cultural slogan that 
that still resonates today. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not breaking any laws. But not all things are helpful. The word helpful could have been translated beneficial, productive. Yeah, okay, so you can drink all you want, eat all you want. I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, you are. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your witness with the Lord. And it's not productive. It's not beneficial to your body. What you're doing to your body is not beneficial. That should be the highest measurement. Not, not can I get by with it without getting locked up. And besides, here's what we're doing in the culture today. We're just making everything lawful so that we become like the people during the time of the book of Judges. They became a law unto themselves. Whatever, whatever goes. But not all things are beneficial. Just ask the person who has overdone it and, and given in to over-desire in their bodies. Then he repeats the, the statement again in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So, so he first says, yeah, okay, I hear you, but... Not, not everything you put in your body, not everything you eat, drink, not every act, everything you look at, everything you listen to is beneficial. But not only that, I don't want to be mastered. I don't want to be dominated by anything other than Jesus. Wow. I wonder if we could just line people up right now and just have them give a testimony and say, man, I wish somebody would taught me that before I got hooked on pornography, alcohol, illegal drugs. And some of us are sitting here right now saying, yeah, but, but I take legal drugs. I have a prescription. So they're lawful. Did you know lawful drugs, prescription drugs, are more abused than any other, any other category of drug? We're the most over-medicated people who've ever lived. We, we think if we can just grab a bottle, that'll help us cope with whatever's going on. I'm not saying that we don't have chemical imbalances and that there are right uses, and medication can be a gift from God. That's why he gave us all the different plant life that pretty much every drug comes from, some plant that God gave us as medicine. Medicine's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But it's not God. And so some of us need to evaluate what we're putting in our bodies because it masters us. It dominates us. The, the Greek word here has the idea of to be in slavery to. Okay, it's legal, but I'll not be dominated by it, Paul says. And then, it, then it has a new, a new, stand, a new uh, saying, for, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's why there's food, so I can put it in my stomach. And that's why I have a stomach, so I can put food in it. That's, why, that's how it works, people. That's what the Corinthians were saying. But what they were really talking about here, and in, in verse 13 you can tell that Paul's using this as a metaphor for, for what they were really saying. Well, the reason my body has a sexual reality to it, the reason it's made, it's made for sex. Sex is for my body, and my body is for sex. Well, Gary, where are you getting that? I thought he was talking about food. Well, just keep reading. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. 
This is what they were saying in Corinth. Well, that's why I have these parts. It's so I can have sex. What's wrong? They were really struggling possibly in the church at least, with an early heresy in Christianity called Gnosticism. And Gnostics had this idea that the body is inherently evil anyway. And so since it is, whatever you do with it doesn't matter because it's going to pass away anyway, which is what they seem to be saying here. You know, God's going to destroy the body and the food anyway. It's all going to go away. So whatever we do with the body doesn't matter and they, 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 they had a philosophy of dualism, as some, like the body's over here and it doesn't count, and only what happens in, in you spiritually is what matters. I'm speaking of, of the false religion of Gnosticism. And they carried it so far to say that Jesus really didn't physically, he was a spiritual being that the person who died on the cross really, it wasn't his body, it didn't really suffer, it didn't really bleed, it was a spiritual illusion. This was... This was the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, which, which lingered around for several hundred years and then affects the false teaching in the Quran. And so this idea of the body, because when God made the body, He said, it's good. It's not inherently evil, but how you view it and how you use it is affected by your sin. And so it can be evil, but it's not made to be evil. It was made to be good. And Jesus did die in the body, and He did come as the uh, Emmanuel, God with us, incarnationally living among us. He ate, He slept, He cried, He wept, He felt tired, He bled, and He died. And He elevates the human body to its right place, by doing so. And then he's raised from the grave and he lives today. God has a purpose for your body. Gary, you said purpose. I don't see purpose in verse 12 and 13. I, I see how you unpacked it. Where's purpose? Look again at verse 13. The body is not meant for. If we say something is meant for or not meant for, we're talking about its purpose. What's the body meant for? What's not meant for just its appetites? It is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You don't have to get far in the Bible before you hear this. And let us make man in our own image, the imago dei. Male and female, he made them. Of all creation, he made a lot of bodies. He made animate and inanimate bodies. He made worlds and, and, and stars. and He made planets and, and he made plants and he made animals. But only man did he say, only humanity did he say, I made them for myself that they would reflect my glory. I have a purpose for them. I have a meaning for their bodies. Last week we studied this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here it is again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all He has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Give God your body. Give Him, give him your body for His purpose. As the early church father Augustine said, 
Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Why did God make you? What, what's the meaning of these bodies? He made, made you for himself, that he might dwell in you and that you might know him. Your bodies have a purpose. Yeah, look in the mirror on the wall. Look, look, look in that mirror because, you know, you got to go out in public and, <laughs> you know, comb your hair, you know. And listen, there's, it, I, I like it when the ladies put, put a little something on their face. I, I, I like that. I think it makes you feel better. Doesn't that help your self-esteem? I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your body. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor. You shouldn't take I'm not saying any of that. Don't take this out of balance. What I am saying, do not elevate your body to the position of worship so that that consumes you. That's all you think about. Instead, put Jesus there and your body surrendered to him. And then maybe you won't think about your body so much. It'll get second, third, down the list somewhere. I'm thinking about all the bodies God made, but for, for our bodies, he wants us to give them to him for his purpose, and all of us have unique shapes. I was thinking about Moses, and Moses said, I'm not a good speaker. Why are you calling me to set the people free? I'm not good at this. I don't know that. I, he had a lot of excuses, and God finally just said to him, well, what's in your hand? He goes, uh, a shepherd's staff, a rod? He goes, let's use that. And so I would say to you, you were like, yeah, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not, well, that's fine. We got enough preachers. Go be you. You teacher, go teach for Jesus. Use your body teaching for Jesus. You a plumber, plumb for Jesus. You electrician, wire for Jesus. You a, you a carpenter, hammer for Jesus. What do you do? What's that in your hand? Use your body, your talent, what God's called you to be and do. You'll be more productive out there where the lost people are than I will. You know what my job is to lead and feed? You know what your job is to be ministers? I'm not your minister. I'm not the minister. I'm the preacher. I'm the pastor. You're the ministers. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Check me on it. Go be a plumber for God, a salesman for God, a teacher for God, a banker for God. What's that in your hand? Use your body for God. Eric Lydell was a British runner, missionary, born in China. His parents were missionaries. He comes, to, he comes out of China to go to college, and they find out when he's at college, he's, he's a runner, he's fast. And so he enters into the 1924 Olympics, and he wins a gold medal in the 400 meter. There was a movie made about Eric Liddell. It's called Chariots of Fire. I'd recommend it to you if you've never seen it. It has a great has a great song, goes along with it too. It's a, it's a great movie. But Eric Lydell, his father just didn't understand. You, you need to come home. You've graduated from college now. Why do you need to go? It's just a waste of your body, a waste of your life to go participate in this Olympic thing. Come back. There's people in China that need to hear the gospel. And he tries to explain to his father. And he, and he, he says, Dad, Father, listen to me. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made you to run for him. And then Eric, after he won the gold medal, he went back to China, and then World War II broke out, and he was captured by the Japanese, 
And he died without help in a Japanese internment camp. He gave his body fully to the Lord. He's with the Lord now. He's got a new body. I bet he's still fast. How did God make you? What's in your hand? Give your body to the Lord. Holy to him. Do this. And you might think, well, that's strange, Gary. And some of you, if you start doing it here, if you like, some of you start laying out on the floor, the rest of you just avert your eyes. They're working it out with God. Just okay. But some of you might want to go home and try this. You know, shut the door in your bedroom and go in and just lay on the carpet. And str- I've been saying stuff like this for the last couple of weeks, but, but to inform the body of who it belongs to, like tell your body who, who it belongs to, and it's like lay on the floor and say, God... This mouth, I I repent of all the filth that's come out of my mouth. I fill my mouth with praise and thanksgiving for you. This mouth is your mouth. These ears are your ears. These eyes, just lay out on the floor. like, Like lay out with your arms spread out like this and say, these hands. You might think that's ridiculous. Well, that's okay. I'll get even more ridiculous than this for the Lord. I'm going to give him my body. The whole thing. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Give your body to the Lord for His purpose. And one other thing I would think about, we don't talk much about it, and it's that commandment that says to remember the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. Learn the rhythm of life as you think about your body. The the Sabbath was given to us so that we, we wouldn't overly depend on our bodies. And and if you look at the rhythm of the way God created the universe in the book of Genesis, the way he created creation, notice the order each day. It says, and it was night, and it was day, and then on the third day, he created this. It was night, and it was day. It doesn't say the way you or I would say it. It was day, and it was night. No, it's up. It was, we are to work out of our rest not rest after we're so exhausted from work. Our work, our bodily effort, we learn the rhythm of working out of rest. And we rest in Jesus. And we draw energy from Him. It was night, and it was day, and I got this body up, and I worked out of the rest that Jesus gave me. You put it in the bank first. Then you go. Not after you've run out of gas. Okay. I gave you that one for free. Let's move on. Number two. Here's the second way. Recognize the spiritual significance of your body. Your body has a purpose. It was for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now we're on verses 14 through 17. Recognize the spiritual significance of your body. The Apostle Paul gives us three spiritually significant truths about the body here in these couple of verses. Number one, in verse 14, he says, Your body will be resurrected. It will be raised. The second one he gives is your body is a member of Christ's body. That's in verse 15. Your body's connected. This is, he uses like this marriage kind of language that we're one with the Lord, that our bodies are connected to his body. And, and what's Christ's body? It's the church. So your body is connected to all these bodies because we're the church. And then the third, 
spiritually significant truth he gives about the body here is found in verse 17. Your body is joined to the Lord in spirit. Now let's unpack this. That's all in these couple of verses here that just shows us the spiritual significance of the body. Beginning with verse 14, he says, And God raised the Lord, he's speaking of Jesus, God raised Jesus, and he will also raise us up by his power. Power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite, dynamo, explosive power, resurrection power. He's going to raise you up. Do you know that? Christianity stands alone among the world religions in that we believe in the resurrection of the body. A physical body that can be touched, that can walk, that can talk. It can eat if it wants to, doesn't have to, but can. You want to know what that body looks like? Read the Gospels. Look at the resurrected Jesus. He appears on the road to, to Emmaus, walking along on the road, and, and, and they didn't recognize him at first. I don't know if they just weren't looking at him or if it was later in the day and it was dark and, and they, had, they had heard he'd been crucified so their minds weren't on. And I don't know what it was different about his appearance. They didn't immediately recognize him until he broke bread. And, and he broke bread with them, and they recognized something about the way he moved his hands. I don't know if you've ever lost someone that you really love, your mom, your dad, a, a grandparent, and sometimes you'll just think about their hands. Because those hands that used to take care of you are just imprinted on your memory. They saw the hands of Jesus, and then they heard his voice, and maybe they, for some reason they hadn't recognized it until they heard him say the Baruch which is the, the, the prayer over the bread. He begins to pray, and they were like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. They recognized him. Something about his voice, something about his hands. Something. He appears to the disciples in the upper room. He had heard that Thomas was doubting because he hadn't seen him yet. Now they recognized him. They were freaked out, but they recognized him. So he, he looked similar to how he'd always looked, or they wouldn't have recognized him. So there was a similarity, there was a continuity to, their, to the earthly body that is now a heavenly body. There's a continuity. And he says to Thomas, see my hands? So he still had the scars. See my feet? Put your hand right here to this scar in my side where this soldier speared me to make sure I was dead. And blood and water gushed forth because he pierced the lung. And there was evidence of his death. He's, why does he still have these scars? I think they're like badges of honor. The, the Old Testament prophet talks about how, how we are carved on the Lord's hands. I think we'll see Jesus one day. I know we'll see him one day. The line will be long, but I'm getting in the line. I want to see those scars. It won't matter because it'll be a timeless, eternal environment, and there'll be people to talk to in the line that you haven't seen in a while. It'll be good, and we get to see him because he's got. A, we don't. It says First John three two says we know not yet what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's got a real body, and we get one too, and it has continuity, continuity with the one you have now, except better, better, better. It's built, it's fit for heaven, it's made to live for eternity. So give him your body, 
so you can get that trade in when the time comes. And we keep going here, so give them your body. And remember your members of Christ. And don't, don't give your body to a prostitute, he says. Because now you're joining this body that has continuity with the resurrection body, this body that's joined to his body, this body that has his spirit living inside of you, now you're, you're joining that with a prostitute. Now, this seems a little odd that he mentions this out of the blue. He's talking about the body now. All of a sudden, he's talking about going to a prostitute. But you must understand the culture of Corinth. There was, I've been to the ruins of the city of Corinth. My wife and I went some years ago. And you could see an Acropolis, one of the tallest ones in all of, of Greece. It's taller than Athens. It's, it's called the, the Acro-Corinth. Up on there, uh, during Paul's time, there would have been the remains of the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. And the way they would practice the worship in the city of Corinth, in the city of Corinth was a seaport city, so it had sailors who came from afar, and they loved going to Corinth because they, they had that temple to Aphrodite up there. And the way they would worship is you go up there and pay your money, and you would worship by laying with temple priestesses that were prostitutes. And so that was, that was the culture. It was accepted. Just a body, just a thing, just the plumbing. It has no spiritual reality. That was how they thought. He goes, no, it does. The body has spiritual implications. What you do with your body matters to God. And it, listen, it'll hurt your body to use it wrongly. It'll hurt you in a way you haven't thought about. To call somebody a Corinthian during Paul's day was to say they were being identified with the unsavory reputation of low morals that the people of Corinth had. It was not a compliment to be called a Corinthian. I don't know where that commercial came from that said we could have Corinthian leather in our cars. I don't know what that was about, right? But during Paul's time, it was not thought well of. Do you not know this? He, he says that three times in the text. Don't you know? <laughs> like you should know. Don't you know? What you do with your body matters to God. It's not just the plumbing. It has spiritual significance. Don't idolize your body as God. Philippians chapter 3, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And, and they glory in their shame. They glory in the misuse of their body. They, they take pride in it. And they, their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizen, believer, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, who will renovate our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Give Him your body. It has spiritual significance. And He uses this picture of the two shall become one flesh, 
He uses, Paul uses this again over in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the body of Christ is the church, and how we use our bodies and how, how we think about our bodies impacts each other. Don't idolize your body. Don't put it on a pedestal. Put God there. And then use your body to worship Him. How can we do this? How can I, I suggested earlier giving your body and how you might physically do that. Are there other spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines that would help us yield our bodies to the Lord? Well, I can think of a couple. These are ancient Christian practices that people still utilize today. One is fasting and praying. So you deny your body food or drink. I would recommend that, that you're able to do that if you're a diabetic or have some other health problem. You should make sure you check with a doctor. But, but we know today that, that sporadic, intermittent fasting actually is healthy for the body. It's like saying that in front of a bunch of Americans is like the most politically incorrect thing I could say is to speak of fasting as a spiritual discipline. What? I'm supposed to deny? My, my belly's for food and my food... And food's for my belly. Well, we're just like the Corinthians. But sometimes to fast so that you, you say no to the body so you can say yes to the Lord. Now, if you're just fasting because of health reasons, that's great. But if you're fasting because you want to hear something from the Lord, I want to focus my prayers on the Lord so that every time my belly growls, I'll go, oh, yeah, I've got to pray. And it kind of becomes like your alarm clock for prayer. That's one. There's many. Like, like your body, you can put your body in different positions. To I hear people, every time I try to pray, I can't pray long because I get sleepy. What have you been praying? In the bed. Okay, well, have you tried getting out of the bed when you pray? Have you tried walking and walk around your neighborhood on a prayer walk? You get a twofer out of it. You get some exercise. And the thing about it is when you get your body moving, you stop thinking about your body. Because it's, it's acting now, and it's not sleepy, and, and, and it actually gives you uh, more clarity. I could go on. There are many spiritual disciplines that are helpful. Now, may I say this to you? Spiritual disciplines will not transform you, not renovate your body the way God wants to, but they are helps that help you focus on the grace of God and ask for the grace of God. Is that, is that, you understand what I'm saying? These are, these are ways that we engage asking for the Lord. Well, let's move on. We've, we've talked about giving our bodies to God's purpose, recognizing the spiritual significance. Now, number three, use your whole body to glorify God. Use your whole body to glorify God. Paul gives us two imperatives, flee and glorify. He opens with flee. I'm not talking about the ones that make you itch. I'm talking about run. Run. Flee. That's verse uh, 18. And then verse 20, glorify. Both of these are command. Now, isn't it strange that he says... Um, Run away from sexual immorality. You know, there's other places where he says stand firm. Like over in Ephesians chapter 6, he says stand firm against the wiles of the devil, against the schemes of the devil. Like get up, you know, your shield of faith and your sword of the word of the Lord and, and fight the devil, you know. But when it comes to sex, he says run away. Because your body is involved and sexuality is a great temptation and a great even greater trap. 
And many of us have been entrapped. Our bodies have been dominated by this. And some of you in my hearing, either watching online or next door or in this room, men and women addicted to pornography, to the false view of the body being used in some way contrary to the way God planned sexuality to belong to a man and woman for life within the covenant of marriage. And there it's a beautiful thing, but outside of that it's a damaging thing. Gary, how do you know it's a damaging thing? Well, I'm just reading the Word of God. I, I, that, I'm not that smart. I just believe what this says. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You will harm your own body. Now, I can think of various ways that this is true. All you have to do is start numbering the number of people who struggle with STDs and other things in our modern culture. Could be talking about that. That'd be a very physical, practical impact on the body, the misuse of the body. But he could also be talking about that we're connected to the body, capital B, the church, and how we use our body affects the witness of the church and harms the body. Could be think, could, I think it could be both and. He goes on, he begins to make principles that are important. He gives us another one of those don't you knows in verse 19. Or do you not know? It's like every time he does it, I feel kind of like he's slapping me upside the head. Like, don't you know? Don't you know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That God gave you, he lives inside of you. Where have you been taking your body? Because you're taking the Holy Spirit wherever you go. What have you been putting in your eyes, in your ears, in your mouth? What have you been doing with your body? Because he lives there. The believer, this is a reality. This is not just some metaphor. He lives, believer, listen to me, he lives in you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He lives in you. You can talk to him. He's here right now. He's in you. And your body is the temple of the Lord, whom you have from God. And then he, in case he needs to clarify it further, you're not your own. It's not my body, my choice. It's his body, his choice. Now, you can carry that wherever you want to. That's a politically incorrect statement. I understand the implications. But it's not just about abortion rights. It's about every other kind of rights to my body, male or female. I, what? It's, it's not against the law for me. I can do... Go ahead. Go ahead. But believer, listen to me. I'm talking to believers right now. If you're not a believer today, you're missing out on the purpose of of, of what God has for you. But if you're a believer today and you're still using your body saying it's my body, I'll do what I want to with it, then you're going to experience the hurts that you bring into your body and the pain you bring into relationships. But you don't have to. I don't think we all need to make t-shirts that say his body, his choice. That might get us in some fights out there that are un unneeded. Yeah, we, I'm not trying to make some sort of political statement. I'm just trying to read the Word of God to you right now. And you go, you go apply it to yourself. You are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price. What price? What was the price by which you were purchased, believer? What was the price? Revelation chapter 5, the saints and the angels are crying out to the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's the price. He gave His body for yours. He took our death that we could have His eternal life. And so we are to use our whole body as an instrument for His glory. That's the final command. The first command was run away, flee. The final command was glorify God in your body, which was what He made us for, that we would be the image of God on planet earth, that we would be kingdom citizens representing Him. Romans chapter 6, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely, wholly to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Will this glorify God for me to do this? Does it glorify God for me to view myself through this mirror? Ask yourself these questions. Some years ago, I went to see an evangelist named David Ring. He was born with cerebral palsy. It was difficult to watch him. I went to see him, and um, he, he, as he approaches the stage, his body just moved erratically. Uh, it took him years to learn to walk as a child. His father was a pastor, but he died. His father died when David was only 10 years old, and his mother died of cancer four years later. So at the age of 14, he was on his own, and they'd cared for him, and now he had no one to care for him, and he became suicidal. But at 17, he heard the gospel, and it penetrated his heart, and he gave his life to Christ. And even further, he, he gave his life to Christ to be an evangelist. And so I, I saw him preaching for the first time, and as he approached the podium, it looked like he wasn't going to make it to the podium. His body was so erratic in movement. His face would make contortions. His hands would make contortions. And, and I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. I don't, know if I, I, I don't know if I should have come. Somebody told me to come. And then he started preaching. He said, he said his name, he said, my name is David Ring, and I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? And he started giving his testimony and the whole time, his body's moving, but within a minute or two, I didn't see his body anymore. I just saw Jesus. It, well, I was no longer distracted by the strange, uncontrolled movements that he couldn't control his body. He said, I have cerebral palsy, but cerebral palsy don't have me. Jesus has me. What's your excuse? Now, I don't know what kind of body you have. I can... See your bodies from here, and you can see mine. I don't know what kind of health problems and physical problems. I don't know if you speak well or, or st stumble in your language. I don't know what your gifts are. But God says, what's that in your hand? Use that for me. Whatever, whatever the shape of, of your existence, offer it to God for His glory, and He can use it. What I've learned is sometimes the most imperfect bodies God prefers because they recognize I can't do anything without Him. And the truth is, until you realize that, 
You'll never see the transformation of your body until you realize, I can't do anything, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Next Sunday, I hope you'll be here. We're going to be taking a spiritual checkup, a survey during our service to just check the spiritual state of our church. A couple of Sundays after that, we'll reveal to you how we did. And I hope you'll show up next Sunday for that. As I close, I want to remind you of this hymn that was written by Francis Havergal in 1874 that says a lot about what we've been talking about today. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips lips, and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Amen? Have you done that? Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet take my voice do it you were made for him and he wants to inhabit and live in you and give you strength for today let's pray Lord, I pray for that person, first of all, that's never given their lives to you. They've never known the joy of having Jesus by His Spirit live in them. The unconquerable joy and peace. Would, would you accept Him right now? He's knocking. He will not break down the door. He's a gentleman. He wants you to choose him back. He chooses you. Will you choose him back? He's knocking right now. Would you answer the door and just say, Jesus, come in. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you live today. Come and live in me. Make me a believer, a follower, a child of God. I've trusted you now as my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. Others are here today, and, and you've done that. You've given your life to Jesus, and you trust Him, and you believe in Him, but you've been holding back aspects of your life, and you've not really asked Him to take control of your entire life. Would you do it right now and surrender completely? Take my life and let it be holy, Lord, to Thee. Consecrated, holy, Lord, to Thee. Lord, we lift it up to You now in Jesus' name. Amen.